Amen. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? See, that's what happens when the senior pastor goes on vacation. When you start your job, you get thrown right into the fire. Amen. I'm excited. Over the last little while, God has been doing some incredible things in this church, around this church. There's just been this heightened expectation, and we've just experienced it just now in worship. We just sense the presence of God so strongly. And there's been so many testimonies of amazing things that God has been doing around here. And for some of you, that's very exciting. It's exciting to see that. But for others, it might be a little bit intimidating. Maybe you're new to the faith and you're just trying to kind of wrap your mind around all of this. Or maybe you've been uh, kind of in the church a long time but sort of living a comfortable Christianity and, and you've never really been challenged to step out. We've been talking a lot about spiritual gifts. We've been talking a lot uh, about the things that God is doing. And again, maybe it's out of some people's comfort zone, the things that we've been talking about. But I want to talk about an individual this morning from the Word of God who was maybe in that same place. So if you have your Bible this morning, you can open up to Exodus 3. And just put your finger on verse 5 for a second. And we will have the scriptures up on the screen as well. And this is the story about Moses and the burning bush. So just before we get to this, let's just set the stage a little bit of what's happened up to this point in Moses' life. Moses was born to an Israelite woman. But at the time, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, was nervous about the nation of Israel because they had been growing so big. And he was nervous that they were going to get so big that they would come against Egypt and overtake them. And so Pharaoh decides to put the Israelites into forced labor, into slavery. He also made a creed that every newborn male baby born would be killed. And so Moses is born, and his mother is able to hide him for a few months. But after a few months... She's not able to hide him anymore, and she puts him in a basket and puts him along the bank of the Nile. Now, it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter is the one that finds him, and she brings him into her household, and she raises him. Now, as he grows older, a little bit later on, there's an incident that happens where Moses witnesses an Egyptian beating a Hebrew man, an Israelite man, one of his own, and he decides to take things into his own hands, and he kills the Egyptian. So people find out about this, and he decides to flee to a place called Midian. There in Midian, he begins to make a life for himself. He meets a wife, he builds a family, so on and so forth. Yet meanwhile, back in Egypt, the Israelites are in hardcore slavery. They are oppressed on all sides, and they are crying out to God for God to deliver them from this slavery. Now, one day Moses is out tending his father-in-law's flock, and he comes across this bush that is on fire, and it doesn't seem to be burning up. And so he thinks this is a peculiar sight, and he goes over to check it out. And the Bible says that the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire. And so this is where we're going to pick things up at verse 5, and we're going to start to read. So verse 5 says this, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing 
is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so hear this, verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says to him, I am sending you to go. Now let's look at what Moses' response to this is in verse 11. Moses says, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I, Moses says, who am I? And how many people here in this room would say that you've been at a place where God has said something to you, told you to do something, and you have said, yes, but who am I? You've said, I can't go and pray for that person. I don't even know how to pray out loud. Who am I? I can't go encourage that person. They've been a Christian a lot longer than I have. Who am I? I can't go and share my faith. Who am I? I can't be used with a word of knowledge for someone else. Who am I? God won't use me to heal somebody through my prayer. Who am I? See, so many of us think that we have to reach this certain level of holiness or understanding of the Bible or have been a Christian for X amount of years for God to use us. Many of us have felt God telling us to do something, either by an impression in our spirit or by reading his word, and our response has simply been, who am I? So let's keep going. Verse 12 is God's response to Moses. And this is what he says. He says, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And so the Lord's response to Moses' question where he says, who am I, is I will be with you. Now here's the thing. In order for this response to actually mean anything or to reassure Moses, Moses actually needs to know who he is. Right? So let me explain it in this. If you don't know me, and you're in a tough situation, and I come to you and I say, don't worry, I'm with you, does that actually bring you any sort of comfort? Chances are no, because you don't know who I am. You don't know what kind of skills I have. You don't know what kind of qualifications I have that are going to make your situation any better. Quite frankly, you don't even know if what I'm going to do is going to make your situation even worse. So let's recap up to this point, this conversation. So God tells Moses that he is leading him to Pharaoh to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses responds with, who am I? God responds with, don't worry, I will be with you. And then in verse 13, Moses responds in this kind of almost comical way, this roundabout way 
of essentially asking God who he is. He doesn't say it in those words, but that's essentially what he's saying. He says this. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, then what shall I tell him? Or in other words, he's saying, who are you? Who are you that I should be reassured when you tell me that you're with me? Ladies and gentlemen, let's get one thing straight here this morning. When God speaks to you and tells you to do something, your ability to carry that out has absolutely nothing to do with who you are and has everything to do with who he is. And so in this next moment, God reveals to Moses his name. And when he does this, it reveals to us and to him volumes about who God is regarding his nature, his character, and his attributes. See, up to this point, Moses wouldn't have had too much of a sense of who God is. Along the way, he maybe would have learned a little bit about the heritage of his people, but he had spent 40 years in an Egyptian household and another 40 years in Midianite culture. So here in verse 14 is the first time that we hear God declare his own name. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. But in this, we need to understand that God is not just simply telling Moses his name. This is not just some sort of informal interaction where God puts out his hand and says, Hi, my name is I am. No, this is a time where when Moses asks the question, Who are you, Lord? He's actually challenging the Lord. He's actually saying, Do you measure up? He's saying, Do you have what it takes? He's saying, are you capable now of rescuing the Israelites out of slavery? Because up to this point in my life, I haven't seen anything that would make me believe that you can. So no, this is not just a casual introduction. God's response is a proclamation of his authority. It is a confirmation of his supremacy. It is a revelation of the reality that the God who Moses is talking to is the one who is and always will be. He is present, he is active, he is ongoing, and he is trustworthy to fulfill the promise of delivering his people from slavery. See, when we know who God is, and we understand that it is only through him that we can accomplish anything for the kingdom of God, then and only then will we step out with the confidence and expectation of seeing God's miraculous, life-changing power begin to flow in the situations around us, whether that be in our workplaces, whether that be in our schools, whether that be in our social activities, or whether that just be in public. See, God just doesn't want to meet with his people on Sunday morning at 10.30. God doesn't want to just use his people on Sunday morning at 10.30. He wants his people to understand that they are the representations of who he is 
everywhere they go to bring the glory of God to all areas of society. If you have been changed by the loving power of God, then let's go tell people about that. Let's bring that to the streets. Let's show people that God is love and that he is in us and he wants to know you too. And so what's the significance of this name, I am? What does it mean? What does it say about God? First, the Hebrew name or the Hebrew word for this name is Yahweh, which many of you have probably heard before. Most times in your Bible, it's translated as Lord, L-O-R-D, all in capitals. And maybe you've even wondered why that word Lord in the Old Testament, many places in the Old Testament, was capitalized. In a lot of places, it wasn't. In fact, even in some scriptures in the same sentence, you'll have the word Lord twice with one being all capitalized and the other not. And it's because the one in all capitals is from the Hebrew word Yahweh. John Piper, in one of his devotional books, listed out 10 things that the name I am or Yahweh says about who he is. And I'd like to list them out. Number one, it says, he never had a beginning. Number two, God will never end. Number three, God is absolute reality. Number four, God is utterly independent. Number five, everything that is not God depends totally on God. All the universe, by comparison to God, is nothing. Number seven, God is constant. Number eight, God is the absolute standard of truth and goodness and beauty. Number nine, God does whatever he pleases and it is always right and always beautiful and always in accord with truth. And number 10, God is the most important and most valuable reality and person in the universe. And so maybe you're sitting here saying, well, yes, this is a powerful story about Moses, but this is way back in the Old Testament, and I still can't fully understand who God is based on this name, I am. Well, if we look forward into the New Testament in John 8, we see this interaction that Jesus is having with some of the Pharisees. And in verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, on this statement, the Pharisees challenge him, and they tell him that his testimony about himself is not valid, to which he then responds by saying that it is the Father who validates his testimony. And then he goes on to say, they do not know him or his Father. Verse 19 says, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. And then so a little bit further on, as this back and forth conversation continues to happen with the Pharisees, the Jews then accuse Jesus of claiming, of saying that he claimed that he is greater than Abraham, to which Jesus makes this monumental proclamation as to who he is. He says this, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Now this was such a bold statement for him to make because everybody knew that this meant that he was claiming equality with God. The people he was talking to, the Pharisees, they were very knowledgeable about this story in Exodus that we just talked about. And so they knew the significance of what he was saying. It was such a bold statement that the Jews instantly picked up stones to kill him. 
All throughout the New Testament, Jesus makes claims about who he is, which solidify his seat of equality in the Godhead, the Trinity. And all of these claims are validated by Christ's resurrection from the dead. So let's look at some of these claims, just a few of them uh, that Christ made. And people refer to these as the I am's of Jesus. Jesus says the following. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am the alpha and omega. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. So when we look at this interaction between Moses and God in, inter- er, in Exodus 3, and when God reveals his name to Moses, we need to understand that it points forward to who Jesus is. And so let me ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Because it is knowing him that gives us the ability to live out what God has called us to do in this book. When we know who he is, it doesn't matter who we are because his Holy Spirit flows through us and out of us to accomplish his will. Now it's also important to note that some of the most incredible miracles in the Bible happened after this encounter that Moses had with God. See, Moses starts as an average guy. He has an encounter with the Lord. He discovers who the Lord is, and then he is released in God's power to accomplish God's will with signs and wonders that accompany. Now, the other day, this is kind of a side note based on this statement that I just said where I said Moses starts as an average guy. At the point in which he has this encounter with God, he very much is an average guy. But I was reading Acts two days ago, and I was struck by something that I read. I was reading the part where Stephen is faced with uh, the Sanhedrin, and he's talking to the Sanhedrin, and he's kind of giving uh, a bit of an overview, a bit of a history lesson uh, about the nation of Israel. And when he's talking about Moses, he makes this statement. He says that Moses was well-educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians, and that he was strong in speech and action. And it struck me because... That Moses that he's describing is very different than the Moses that we see at the point of this encounter. The Moses that we see at the point of this encounter is one who is void of confidence. He's one who can't talk. In fact, he says that he is going to have to get somebody else to talk on his behalf because he has a stutter. So it's a very different person. And so what God wanted me to share this morning is that there are people in this room that that has been your life. And that's where you're at right now. You're at the place where Moses was before the burning bush. Maybe at some point in your life, you were up here. Maybe in your Christian walk. You were serving God. You were doing your thing. God was good. You were, <clears throat> you were uh, being used by him in so many capacities. And somewhere along the way, the bottom fell out. Or maybe you're new to the faith. Or maybe you're not a Christian at all, but at some point in life, life was good. You were successful. Your career was good. You had a great job. You had a great family. Everything was together. But at some point, something happened there that the bottom fell out. And you find yourself at this place that Moses was. 
aren't we glad this morning that we serve a God of grace, that we serve a God of second chances, that we serve a God that never gives up on us, he never leaves us, he never forsakes us. And so if that's you this morning, that that was your life, you were up here for so long, and then because of circumstances in life, you ended up down here where Moses is. The beautiful thing is, is that you don't have to stay there. God is continually pursuing you, and he wants you to come back to him. He wants you to have an encounter with him, just like Moses did. Now, at this time, was Moses unique? Yes, he was. God had called him to something huge and had empowered him to carry it out in a way that not everyone at the time had access to. But here's the thing. The presence that was revealed to Moses uniquely at that time is the same presence that is now fully available to us at any time because of what Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he reconciled us back to God, meaning that we could now enter into his presence and we could actually have that presence by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Romans 8.11 says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in you. And it's also the same spirit that empowered Moses to do what he did. And now was Moses the only one that followed this progression in life? No, we, we read of many people throughout the Bible who have had the same experience. Look at Peter, who was an uneducated fisherman. He was the one who denied Jesus three times despite the fact having spent so much time with him. But then he has an encounter with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And he becomes Peter, the rock, the one on whom Christ's church is built. And we have Paul, who is a persecutor of Christians. He has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life gets flipped upside down. And he ends up doing incredible things. He's even the one that takes the gospel to the Gentiles and writes a large portion of the New Testament. Both of these men, whom God used to perform incredible miracles along the way. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I know this is a short message this morning, but I want to allow for time here at the end of the service. Because we need to understand this morning that it doesn't matter if you are new to the faith, or whether or not you grew up in church. It doesn't matter whether or not in the past you've seen someone healed before, whether you've led someone to the Lord before. None of that has anything to do with whether or not God wants to use you now to accomplish incredible things for his kingdom. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. What matters is who he is, and what matters is whether or not you know him. And so this morning, we want to meet with the Lord. We want to have an encounter with his presence this morning. And I believe we already have. But maybe you're in that place where you don't know him at all. You've never met him. You've never had an encounter with him. Or maybe you're just at a place in life where you were once on the mountaintop. You once were so connected with him. 
but for whatever circumstances and life has just gotten away where you just feel dry and you just feel empty and you just feel this lack of connection with him. It's like an old friend that at one time you guys were so close, but they moved away and you haven't seen them for years and you don't know what they're up to. Maybe that's you this morning. So why don't we all stand And I want everybody in this room to understand, again, that it's not about you. It's not about who you are. It's not about what things you've done in the past up to this point. It's about knowing who he is and knowing who you are in him. And so as we go into worship, I want to invite you to just give everything that you have to him. Just to say, I want to know you, Lord. I want to know who you are. I want to encounter you this morning. I want to know you deeper. And as we sing through this song, these altars are open. And understand that this space up here, there's nothing magical about it. It's not about this being a magical space. You can encounter God in your seat. But here's the thing. The Lord is looking for people who are hungry. He's looking for people who are willing to step out of their comfort zone and take hold of what the Lord has for them. And sometimes that involves getting out of your comfort zone and coming forward. Sometimes that involves being vulnerable and being honest. And so don't let the devil steal from you an encounter with the living God this morning. Don't let yourself be held back by what other people might think of you. This is an opportunity to encounter the living God. And let me also clarify that coming up here to the front and having an encounter with the Lord this morning is just the beginning of it. That is where the fire starts, but then it's up to us to continue to walk it out every single day, coming into God's presence every day to stoke that fire, to feed that fire, to fuel it. So I just want to encourage everybody here this morning to step out. God, we thank you that you are here with us now. We thank you that your presence has been felt already. And I pray, God, that you would squash any schemes that Satan would try to put up against us to get in our way this morning. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way and do only what you can do because you are the one. It is only you. You are the great I am. You are the great I am. You are the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha omega. It is only when we know you that we could see your power flow through us, oh Lord. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Lord. And I'm not going to do a formal dismissal. We're going to worship, and I invite you to come forward, but I'm not going to come back up and do an official close. And so when you feel like it's time for you to go, please feel free to do that, and don't feel self-conscious about it. If you need to go, you can just step out. But I just want to have a space here that is open and available for anybody who wants to continue to worship and encounter the living God. Let's worship together.